left fielders. Welcome to the Passive Investing from Left Field podcast. We are building a community of investors who are interested in acquiring real assets that produce real cash flow. Our community is focused on networking and education to help people invest passively and think differently. Let's go. The team becomes more important than the asset. And I just passively invested in a deal and a mobile home parks. And if you said, Liz, tell me 10 things about mobile home parks, I would not be able to tell you 10 things. I vetted it. I analyzed it knowing what we know of real estate, but I vetted the sponsor. I vetted the person and he's top A, he's A. So I was okay that I didn't know everything about mobile home parks. Since you are here listening to this podcast, there's a good chance you're investing with a group of people. Whether you're investing with family or friends or like-minded people in the left field investors community, group investing is a strategy that can get you into more deals, help you diversify, and go beyond what you can achieve by yourself. Before TribeVest came along, it was difficult to overcome all the hurdles associated with group investing. It was basically a strategy reserved for the wealthy. Not anymore. Now, TribeVest helps your group with everything from incorporation, collaboration, banking, and equity management tools all in a single place, so you can focus on building wealth with the people you know, like, and trust. I'm using TribeVest for all five, now six, of my investor tribes. It's a game changer. Check them out at TribeVest.com. You are listening to the Passive Investing from Left Field podcast, powered by TribeVest. The mission of Left Field Investors is to build a community of like-minded individuals interested in creating financial freedom through passively investing in real assets that generate real cash flow. In this podcast, Jim Piper will interview passive investors, syndicators, and others who will share their journey with a focus on helping the passive real estate investor learn and become part of the left field community. This is Whitney Sewell from LifeBridge Capital. You are listening to Passive Investing from Left Field. I'm pleased today to have Liz Faircloth with us. She's the co-founder of the DeRosa Group, a developer of commercial and residential property with a mission to revitalize urban America. She's also the co-founder of the Real Estate Invest Her community, a platform to empower women to live a financially free and balanced life on their own terms. She's the co-host of the Real Estate Invest Her podcast and an author of an Amazon bestseller, The Only Woman in the Room, Knowledge and Inspiration from 20 Successful Real Estate Women Investors. So Liz, welcome to the Passive Investing from Left Field podcast. Thank you so much, Jim. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, we're glad to have you. And, and as we start out, you know, the first thing we do in our podcast, I'd like to hear your story, your journey, how you got to where you are, your financial path, and how you got to have this community and, and be a co-founder of a, of a syndicator as well. Sure. So I'll bring you back about 15 years. My husband and I were in our 20s and like a lot of people on our two tracks to being professionals in different areas, I, I was getting my degree in social work. So I was getting my master's degree and my husband had just started a job in engineering. So those are kind of our professional kind of focuses and that's what we were on, our, on track to do. And the only entrepreneur I knew was my brother-in-law and he uh, handed me Rich Dad, Poor Dad and said, you got to read this book. And I love personal growth books. I had read a couple. I mean, I was really into those, you know, even in my 20s. And he gave me that book and I read it. And then I had my husband, my, at the time, my boyfriend read it. And I, I did completely shifted our kind of perspective on life. Like many people I know, I'm not the first person to say that. 
but it, you know, brought up terms. What, what it really did is it, you op- it opened your eyes to things, for me at least, that I wasn't familiar with prior. Like when you like have that almost like that, you know, that opportunity to be like, what? This is even possible? <laughs> you know, right. I don't know how else to say it. I didn't have any examples like that in my life and I was on my track to do what I wanted to do. So funny that when I read that and, and we played cash flow, we started taking courses at the local RIA meetings. I then decided not to pursue social work. So here I just got my master's degree in it, which at, at the University of Penn, so it was not a cheap uh, degree. And I'm like, I really want to get a job in sales because that's one of the things that he talks about in that book is if you don't know how to sell and, you know, that's going to limit you as an entrepreneur yeah. and as an investor. So I said, okay. So I just, I don't know why I fixated on the sales part. So I found a job doing consulting, like sales and consulting. So I, I taught workshops and, and also sold uh, what we were doing. So I did that for about a, about a decade as we grew our real estate portfolio. Long story short, our first deal was a duplex in a little town outside of Philadelphia. And uh, we did that. Was, that was our first private money deal. We borrowed money from my father. I borrowed 30000 bought our first duplex and just started to learn the business step by step. And then we um, really decided to move to, we decided to move to Jersey, New Jersey, and really go all in on New Jersey. So we started buying some small multis in New Jersey and a lot of twists and turns, uh, but really, yeah. really focused on multi and grown our business probably very focused in the last, I don't know, eight, nine years on multifamily where we have buildings, uh, we own and manage a large portfolio in four states now mostly on large apartment complexes and then built a team around that. So, you know, our start was, you know, flips and this and that. And then we kind of got really focused a little bit into our tenure and everything. And how did you find your focus? Because it's a familiar journey where you start out with one rental and then you kind of experiment with a few more and then maybe you do some flips. I mean, I I kind of did all that. I also bought into the multifamily all active and then I I sold everything and went completely passive. So how Mm. did you kind of find your focus and decide, hey, this is what we're going to do. It was a journey. I, I always say to people, we kind of grew up in this business, if you will, like we learned a lot as we we progressed. I think some people, especially your audience, right? They love their job. They love their career. And they just want to passively invest. They, they're really clear. Like, I don't want to be doing all the doing. And that's great. Like, I think for us, when we were in our 20s, we were so active and we we really wanted to build a business. And we had time on our side. We didn't have children. Right. So we had all those things. On. We didn't have money on our side. <laughs> That's why we started working with passive investors. But we had all those other things on side. So we started to learn and started to experience. I have to tell you, because we got diluted and we were involved in so many different things, it's part of our personalities. I think it goes back to how my husband and I are wired. That's part of who we are. And, and you're naive to the industry, right? You're in your 20s. You're figuring things out. You're, you're learning entrepreneurship, right? You're learning how to manage everything, right? So... I'd say because we were a little bit naive, a little young in the business, we started to look at where we were having success. And I remember the conversation I had with my husband. I was like, we're doing a lot of things, but where are we actually having success? And it wasn't a book I read. It was just like a feeling of like, we got to let go of what's not working and go really all in on what's working. I was still working, right? Financially, I was still working. So we didn't need to pay the bills with our real estate ventures. But it, you know, at some point you're like, okay, we either get this moving and it's a business and we're making money with it and or we got to shift gears. So I remember having that conversation before even the market crashed in 08, <laughs> this is, you know, because we started in 04. So yeah, and, and then we started to focus on our small multis and then we started to syndicate and we started to work with passive investors and that really was a great trajectory of our, our path, which is probably 11 years ago or so. Okay. 
Yeah, I love that. They would let go of what's not working. You know, so many people just keep on trucking with the stuff that, that they're doing, whether it's working or not. And there's some of the, you know, active investments I had that I, I did. I just, I kept holding them because, well, I always had held them. And then once I let go and did a reevaluation, hey, these, these are what got me into the industry maybe, but that's not what's making me money now. So I really like that. And I also like the focus of it's a business, whether you're a passive investor, that's your passive investing business, or if you're a syndicator like you, yeah, that's your syndicator business. So yep. can you talk a little bit about the syndication business? And you said you're in four states, kind of what markets you're in and what kind of assets you're going after? Yeah, sure. So it's syndication for us. We also started with 12 units, right? We syndicated a 10 unit and, and two and two and two other units. It was a multiple site syndication was our one of our first ones. And then the last project we did was a 334 unit in North Carolina, right? So we've, we really, you know, have grown. It, we didn't start large. We started small. And that was, you know, a number of years ago. Yeah, we, we got our start in New Jersey, number one in Trenton, New Jersey in particular. And for a few reasons. One, we could afford the, we could afford the properties, to be perfectly honest. Number two, we can make a difference because there was plenty to do in terms of making a difference in terms of our, you know, capital of our, our state that we were living in. And uh, three, we really liked being close. So we were 15 minutes from Trenton. We lived in a little town outside of, in New Jersey called Bordentown. So when we started to syndicate and we started to really go, you know, all in on multifamily, we focused on our backyard and it worked at the time, right? So we started to, you know, raise a half a million. And, and that was one of our first raises and, and, and really, you know, work with like a handful of investors, right? Five, six investors. And so we really built it from there. And then we started to see the market shift. We bought an 18 unit in Philadelphia. We sold it, gave our great 20% return, great return to our investors, rolled that into a new project in North Carolina. So as we started to run the numbers in New Jersey and Philadelphia, they just, they just didn't work anymore, you know, and they just weren't going to get our, our, the returns we wanted to give to our investors, quite honestly. And also, it was very, it was very heated. Is over, over market, overheated in terms of everyone's interest in in the Philadelphia region, if you will, and uh, and the taxes. To be perfectly frank, in New Jersey, are just really tough. And we, we made it work, and because we were buying cheaper property, to be perfectly honest. But if you're going to start buying in different areas, it, it just the numbers aren't going to work for our passive investors. So we then our, our first larger multi. I'd say larger, for us, it was larger at the time, it was a 49 unit, and it was in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. So we started to kind of diverge out of the Philadelphia region, and that was about five years ago. And that was right by the train station. It was a converted loft building. We bought it. We bought it around like 3.3 million in, in appraised for 3.9. So it was just a, just a great project, probably one of our favorite buildings that we have, to be honest. And uh, it's just grown and significantly outperformed what we wanted it to do. So that really got our that was an hour and a half away. So we managed everything, Jim, like literally managed everything ourselves. And as you syndicate, as you build a team, as you build out a state, you're not going to manage everything yourself. So we started to, to decrease our self-management and increase our working with third-party managers and working with teams that are out, out of state. So that hour and a half felt really big to us. And then our next project was in North Carolina, which was nine, 10, 11 hours. So we have properties in uh, North Carolina and Kentucky. So as we really focused what do we want to be doing? What kind of returns we want to give our, our past investors? And also, what is our specialty? Because I don't think a lot of people that are, when you think about it, people are listening. It's like, you really have to vet the person and the syndicator to make sure they're good and not just good, that they're excellent in the niche that they're in. And not every niche is the same. So we buy 
C-class workforce housing. That is what we have always done. We got our start in Trenton, New Jersey, right? That's what we've done. I mean, to say we're class A investors and we just do a little value add is not accurate from our, our experience. So that's the kind of assets we look for. And that's the kind of assets we do. We turn around. We bought a building, a 200, 222 unit in Fayetteville in North Carolina, which isn't the hottest market in North Carolina, but North Carolina has just blown up. It was a few years ago we built, bought this building and interior, exterior, had four active drug dealers. I mean, this building was a turnaround. It was a repositioning. So those are the kinds of assets we tend to gravitate towards. And not a lot of syndicators always like those kinds of assets. They take more time, they take more energy, but you're creating so much value and we're selling it and we're selling it double what we bought it for. And, and our, our investors are going to make literally double their money. So they're going to be happy. But my point in saying all that is we, ha- we moved to the Southeast. So our focus is really the Southeast market right now. Unless it really, and we're buying in Lancaster because we already have a building there. We have a team there. I haven't bought, we haven't bought anything in New Jersey or Philadelphia in the last five years actively. So unless it was just this amazing opportunity that made sense. We are building in New Jersey. We're building in Trenton. We're building a, but it's new construction. It's a different animal. So yeah, I I don't know if that helps give some color to why we navigated from the Northeast to the Southeast. Yeah. Uh, And we love Kentucky. We, we, We have a almost 600, 700 units in Lexington, Kentucky. We really like that market as well. Yeah. And I was going to ask a little bit more about Kentucky because New Jersey, I get it. You're local there. So you start there in Pennsylvania, right next door. I understand that. North Carolina, everyone's kind of going to North Carolina, the Southeast, all the, you know, the Texas is all those markets are super popular. So when I hear somebody say a market that I hadn't heard before, my ears perk up. So why Kentucky? Yeah, it's a good question. So as we started to build our team, one of the really important team members you need to have, especially on a syndication team, is somebody who's analyzing markets, right? Like that's what they do. And when you get started, it's like, are there tenants? It's a duplex. Like there's only so much analyzing of a market you're going to do for a duplex, <laughs> right? Let's be, let's be honest. But when you're talking about larger multi, it's a whole different ballgame, right? In terms of really analyzing that market, supply, demand, who's coming, who's going. So our kind of like our ability to analyze markets increased, right? You really should be all, you should, People get so fixated on buildings and they don't know as much about the market. And that's, that should be the other way around. You know, not that you shouldn't know anything about your, your project, but you should know everything about your market. That is your bread and butter. And we learned this, right? You can only participate in a market. You can't control a market. I mean, unless you're literally going to buy the entire city. We learned that very hard. We learned that lesson very hard in Trenton. We really wanted to change that city and you cannot by yourself change any market. So my point in saying that is we really saw a lot of good indicators with Kentucky. Number one, you want to see a lot of different things. Number one, job diversity. You know, that becomes really important because especially COVID, right? One industry goes down, one industry is affected. Are there a number of different uh, sectors that are going to draw people just to continue living there, right? Basic stuff. And Lexington had that and very much so. It had, you know, in terms of businesses growing and big horse country in Lexington, huge horse country. And so you see a lot of different jobs there, which is great. Number one. Number two is population growing there. If we're going to go head to head with Kentucky and North Carolina, obviously North Carolina has a little more of that population growth. Why we liked Lexington too, it's a very stable market. It's growing, but it's also very stable. So if, as long as you're buying right and increasing rents and, and getting into the right areas and, and doing what you need to do in those buildings, the returns are, we have solid projects there. So um, I also like markets that are a little under the radar. 
everyone knows Louisville. Louisville's, you know, a growing market. People, I'm not the first person to say, there's a lot, lot, lot of people who have buildings there. But Lexington was a little under the market, under the radar when we, when we bought there. And I think there's a lot of value there in terms of saying, like, we're not just going to, like, I don't, we don't own anything in Raleigh or, or Durham. Not that there's anything wrong with that, unless it was this, or Austin, Texas. These are wonderful markets. And if you own right now, great, like thumbs up to you. But for us to make sense of that, those numbers, it's also expensive. It's also, yeah, yeah everyone else is going there. So our North Carolina projects, we bought in Winston-Salem. We bought in Fayetteville, right? These aren't the hottest markets, but they're markets that are under the radar, that are growing and that have momentum and that aren't on any like hottest market list. We felt the same way about Lexington. And those are the kinds of markets that we like to invest in because as long as they have all the right fundamentals in terms of job diversity and job growth and employment and people going there, are people leaving or are they going? Now, again, bat to bat, am I going to go bat to bat with North Carolina versus Lexington? Yeah, there's more of a migration there. But there is a migration and, and we see strong numbers in, in our in our area of Kentucky. So yeah, yeah, we're and we like those under the radar markets. Yeah, I think I think that's great to find those. I know there's a couple other syndicators that I deal with. I hate to even say it because he's like, be quiet about it, but Colorado Springs, you know, he sees that as a market that seems similar to Lexington in that yeah. it's not as popular. But if you get in there and you get to know the market, you could be one of the the main players there because there isn't a lot of competition. And so you're still doing the C class stuff in Lexington as well. So, you know, most of the syndicators we're dealing with seem to be B class, maybe B minus, but C class. Can you talk some about that? And are you talking about C class neighborhoods or C class properties or both? Or how do you differentiate that? Yeah, it's a good question. It's both, right? Class of neighborhood and class of property are, are two different things, right? And sometimes they go together. Like, you know, you have the ugliest building in like a beautiful neighborhood or vice versa. Our general approach has been post-Trenton, I'll say, because Trenton was kind of like where we learned a lot of our, our business and we learned a lot of real estate investing. So we got a little smarter, a little more pointed on, on what we wanted to do and where we wanted to go. Lancaster was our next quote unquote move. And I would say that's a class B asset in a class B neighborhood. No question. Most of Lancaster is. It's a, it's a very, very boutique kind of community. Outside of Philadelphia, it's got its own little vibe there, very artsy. And so that really perked our interest, right? Because we're very used to the more C-class buildings, even D-class buildings, like gut renovation buildings, if you will. And, you know, in terms of, of the environment as well. Or, or, so when we migrated to, to North Carolina and to Kentucky, we tend to, our preference, right? And, and I'd say this for even Winston-Salem or, or Fayetteville is to find that C-class property in almost like a B-minus, you know, neighborhood, right? So your, your neighborhood's a little better than the class of the property it's in. And I'd say that for Fayetteville. Fayetteville, the, the, the 222 unit, was in a really good part of Fayetteville. Fayetteville, again, is not this Durham and Raleigh sort of North Carolina environment. It's a strong, stable market because it's got, you know, the army base. It's got different things in that neighborhood, in that area. Our building was situated right on a highway. So in terms of like actual environment, it was situated in a, in a really strong area. So I'd almost say it was like B minus C plus, if you will. The actual asset was like a C minus, though, because the it's usually image. And once you clean up, you can, it's like, what do I control? What I can't control. You want to make sure whatever you can control, you, you can improve and it's going to increase in value. 
because you can increase a building's value in a really bad neighborhood and you can't do much about that, right? You can't change the neighborhood, like I just said earlier. So our preference is really like, probably like the C type of asset or even B minus asset, if you will, in like a, a B minus area, if you will. So, uh, or B area. So that's where we're headed. Like Winston-Salem, same thing. Fayetteville, same thing. I, I would say it's, they're both in like, in that community, in a better area, in that realm. The asset though needed to turn around, needed repositioning, the image, exterior, interior, the brand. So it's not just the condition of the property because if the condition of the property is bad and no one wants to live there, think about the brand, right? Think about no one's giving this apartment building a good review. No one wants to live there. Our Fayetteville property is 98% occupied right now. It has a thriving community. Is it still in Fayetteville, North Carolina? Yes. Is it still in a workforce housing environment? Yes. Is it ever going to be in class A environment? No. But that's that you don't need that to make the returns you need and to take care of people in the apartment building. Do you know what I mean? Right. Like so it's you're you're literally hedging what can you control and what can't you control. So we never want to be in like, you know, an area that people don't feel safe and there's, you know, high crime. We had to take some of those people out of the building. Once you did, though, the area itself is a very safe area. It's positioned very well in, in the neighborhood. So I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, completely. And, and I think that's, you really need to know your market, right? Especially yeah. if you're kind of going to go for some of the assets that are that are run down and, and need a lot of improvement, because you might not know, if you don't know the market, you're not going to know, okay, is this a neighborhood that we can actually have the building be a nice, safe place? And it's just the people or the the condition that needs to be repaired, yep. or is it the neighborhood? Because as you said, you can't change the neighborhood unless you buy it all, right? So that makes complete sense to me. Now, I want to um, ask you about the GP, so general partners. Are you general partners on your own on these deals, or are you doing co-GP deals? Yeah, so we're usually the main GP, any deal we've done. So we're kind of like the the main sponsor, if you will, the main, the main general partner. We do, have a, we do have a lot of other partners in the deal as well. And that has grown where we were kind of like, you know, our first property, you know, and our first, our, our, a lot of our properties early on were, were me and my husband. And then we started to syndicate and it was just him and I. And then you start to get into larger multi, even from our 49 unit to 222 unit. Well, we brought a partner. We started working with a partner at that point, like from an underwriting perspective, an operational perspective, asset management perspective. There's literally, a, we have a big team now, right? So then everyone gets that, a slice of equity as well. So uh, over the years, where sometimes you were getting, say, more of the GP, as you scale, it, you know, you start to start to build with others. And, and obviously, it's not just uh, fees, but it's, it's certainly the, the equity part. So we have, we have other um, partners in our projects. And it's, it's our main pro- partners, like the, we have an asset manager who's great, Justin, and Hervé, who's, who's really in charge of capital raising, and uh, Kevin, who's really out there doing the underwriting and finding new opportunities and I could go on. So, you know, we, we you know, kind of need to make room for everyone. So if you want to, you can't do that on like one building on a hundred unit, you, you either going to go big and do that with a lot of people or not. If people are like looking to make this their, their livelihood, right. And, and take care of their families. So we've kind of evolved, but um, that's where, where, where we are right now in terms of like our team and, and giving uh, everyone having a slice of that. Yeah. So the reason I asked the question is we've been seeing a lot lately for, through Left Field Investors, some of the deals coming through or some of the new sponsors that have you know five, six, seven different GPs and, it, and it's hard to know who does what and, and what the roles are. So 
how would you recommend for a passive investor or when you're investing passively in someone mm-hmm. else's deal, how do you control for, hey, there's six GPs. I'm not sure what they all do. I'm probably not going to get to talk to each one of them. How do you make sure that you're you're in with the right people, if that makes yeah, sense? Yeah, that's a great question. I talk a lot about this because we have over 200 passive investors we work with, right? So we've worked with passive investors for over a decade. And there's a lot of great syndicators out there. And then there's a lot of new ones that are just like pulling deals out, out of like thin air and, and orchestrating things. And there's nothing, I don't mean to dismiss people's energy, but for me, the team becomes more important than the asset. And I just passively invested in a deal and, and mobile home parks. And if you said, Liz, tell me 10 things about mobile home parks, I would not be able to tell you 10 things. I vetted it. I analyze it knowing what we know of real estate, me and my husband, but I vetted the sponsor. I vetted the person and, and he's top A. He was A. So I was, I was okay that I didn't know everything about mobile home parks, right? Right. So my point though is that, and that was private lending, actually. It was a syndication, but regardless, I, I let, we were doing some lending out. So my point in saying that though, with the folks that work with us on the other side is that like when you're, when you're evaluating a sponsor and you're evaluating a, a team, if they're doing their webinar about this opportunity, they don't even talk about their team. That's a red flag, in my opinion. Literally, if they do not have a slide that shows the team, even if it's just them, right. that is an enormous red flag. It's almost like, who's running this deal? Because everyone knows that a large apartment complex takes a lot of different people. I don't know how else to say it, unless you're like literally Wonder Woman or, or you're just, you just do everything. There's an asset manager. There's somebody who runs the operations. There's somebody who does capital raising. You know, this is not rocket science, right? This is not like, oh, you're the only ones that do that. So to me, I would be very suspect if I was going to pass me invest in a deal that they didn't even tell me who the team was. Or I had to ask who the team was. Or these are six GPs. What do they, they, if I have to ask that question, that's a red flag, uh, hands down. Because to me, that's, that shows there's not, A, is there clarity on the team? B, if there is clarity, why aren't you telling me? Because if, if it's like this powerhouse team, that should be one of your selling points. Hey, we got this powerhouse team. I mean, that should be like, hey, come with me, work with me, you know? And if you're not doing that, then that's not good to me. And the other question would be, how does everyone get, you know, what does everyone do? How long have they been with this team? And what's the future of this, this team? That's the other thing a lot of past investors don't ask. We've been doing this for 15 years and we plan on doing this for a long time. Anyone you invest with, us, anyone for that matter, that, that has uh, integrity should, well, this is where we want to be in five years. If they can't answer that question, red flag, because they're just doing this now to what? Because they have nothing else to do? No, not going to work. It's just not. That's not a steward of my money I want to give. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you're going to like, today I'm doing syndications and then tomorrow I'm going to like run out game trucks. I don't know. That's a really big red flag to me. And not just my team, but my vision, what this company stands for. So you got to vet, like, to me, the sponsor, the team is so much more important. Has this team always returned the capital of their investors? What's their, what's their experience on that? Not every deal is perfect. We've had to go into our own pockets to pay back investors. That has happened. But we've done that. And we've always returned capital. And we've always done what we said we were going to do, hands down. So those are my tips for, for just kind of making sure there's no red flags. Because people make deals sound so amazing. And uh, I would be suspect if people don't share that upfront. That's great stuff, especially with, you know, where are you going to be in five years? Because these are long-term investments, right? They, they might pro forma out five years for a sale, but if the market changes, they might own it for 10 years. And you want to make sure that they're still going to be around running the business that they said they would 10 years from now. Exactly. So 
That's excellent. That's a great, yeah. great thing to ask. So I want to pivot a little bit now and talk about your community, Real Estate Invest Her Community. That's a great name, by the way. But can you talk a little bit about what that community is? Why did you start it? And what, what you guys are doing? Business partner and friend, John Jess and I came together a few years ago. We were actually um, doing a handful of projects together, flipping new construction. And we'd get together and, you know, we go to meetings and we go to these different events and you're like, why are we like the only women in the room here? And we're, there's more women who invest. Would it be neat to like create a little bit of a community? And, you know, we could kind of share our war stories or get support, give support and kind of grow together. That was the thinking. And we saw that we needed that. We wanted that. And so we started with a podcast a few years ago saying, let's just interview women, highlight their stories, their journeys, and uh, in a way that works for women, you know, because there's investing and business growth and ambition. And then there's like the other areas of our life, right? And the other hats we wear for men and women for that matter. But I can only speak from a woman's perspective since that's, that's what I have. Right. You're constantly, you know, figuring out there's multiple plates spinning. Women, and I've learned this as I've gotten into this community and built this community, but 40% research shows women actually outperform men as investors For, by 40%. That's what some, which, what some people could challenge me on that, but that's what some research shows. Now, I'm not saying that women are better or worse, but here's the other statistic that I've come to learn. Women invest 40% less than men, yet women outlive men six to seven years. So the chances of women living longer, needing more financial security, needing more financial wherewithal is increased, yet we're doing it less than men. So there's a discrepancy there. And that's really what our community is all about, is, is kind of filling the need of not just education, but support, community, content, you know, being in this together and creating financial freedom in a way that works for women that on their own terms, you know, they're wearing the mom hat, they're wearing this hat, they're wearing that hat. How do they do it in a way that works for their lifestyle and works for what they want to create in their life? So it's not this like, I'm trading this job for this job. Well, you don't need our community for that. Then just do that. But we really are um, between our podcasts and our meetups across the country, our membership and all the different things that we're creating is we're creating this community of accountability, mentorship, and also like content. This is how you scale from small to large multi. This is how you do creative financing. But we do it in the context of the other things that are important to women around balance and self-care and community. I think that's fantastic. So is this group more for active investors, people that are going to try to be syndicators and things like that? Or is this for women who are passively investing as well? Both. Yeah, both. both. And it's interesting because we thought it'd be more active. We have a lot of women who are also passive investors. What, what our community has shown us too is it's, it's an amazing community of women doing deals together. So as we grow, we're, we're putting more things in place. It's happening already in our meetups. Someone has a project, someone wants to invest. That, those kinds of things are happening under our brand now. We're looking at creating a little more of like a way to kind of really create a streamlined way that women can invest together. We have a project, Andressa and, and we're going to be um, highlighting is it's a, it's a women-only syndication project. So it's going to be a, a project where women from start to finish, from the construction to the asset management to the financing, literally everything. And uh, that's kind of neat. So a little more information on our, um, it's called the Trailblazers Project. And we'll also be doing a huge give back part of that syndication project. So it's not just money making, but the units, you know, will we'll support some women in need and and it's just going to be a really cool project all around. But yeah, to, to answer you, it, it's both. And more and more, we see women on the financial freedom roadmap. So if they're new, they have some experience to bring into the table. 
And it, but most of the women in our community have done some deals. They, they, they have a portfolio. They're looking to scale. But quite honestly, they're just looking, how do I create the financial freedom I want and need in a way that works for my lifestyle? Does that mean active or passive? We were on a, I was on a mastermind last night because one of the things we do for our members, our Strive members, is that we have like, you know, monthly masterminds and problem solving, supporting each other. And one woman was saying, you know, I'm looking at an active deal right now that's going to give me 10%, in tr- you know, uh, return that I'm analyzing. And I might go, and then I got introduced to this person, a syndicator who's going to give me XYZ. Now, there's no guarantee, but instead of us answering, well, go here or go do, th- do this or do that, let's, let's really get into where you want to be in five years. You know, like what's going to work for you? Do you really want to learn the business? Well, it might make sense to do that, you know, to do that active deal or the time you have, the energy you have, the, the roles you have. Maybe it makes sense to do the passive and then segue into active because I don't know about you, but we're not all created equal. I'm passively investing. I'm also an active investor. And, and often in our lifestyle, we're constantly saying what makes more sense right now for my lifestyle. For me, I'm more interested in passive, right? Where me and my husband are because we've literally been so active for the last 15 years. So how do we do more of that? It's an ebb and a flow. Right. And I think a lot of women are the same. Some women, depending on their age, depending on their interests, depending on everything, it's going gonna, it's gonna to vary. That's, that's the kind of work we do with the women in our community is really going through those, those questions and those processes and like what works for you versus like giving answers like, well, just do that because it's one more, it's one more percent of an inch. Well, money's not the most important thing. It's important. Right. It's not the most important. It's the lifestyle. It's the you know, what do we want to create for our families? You know, what do we want to give? How do we want to give back? That's what a lot of the women in our community are about. It's not just making the most money they can and just ripping everybody off. That's right. not the, <laughs> that's not the woman we're, we're, well, that's not women in our community. Right. And I think it's really interesting because it is, whether you're active or passive, it depends on where you are in life and what you want to do. You know, the older you get, you might want to supplement your income and maybe not have a, as much stress at your W-2, your regular day job. So maybe you start getting some passive income streams. But when you're younger, you might want to go out and flip a house or, or do that stuff. And, you know, what I encourage through our group is, you know, we're, we're almost all just passive investors. Some of them have active stuff, but mostly in our community, we're talking about passive. And really what you want to do is build alternative income streams, whether it's active or passive, that's up to you. But it's all about income streams, because if you want to give back or you want to you know, have financial independence for your family, you're going to need to build some wealth. And in my experience, it seems like having all these different income streams gives you a better chance of doing that. Yeah, no, no question. And, that, and that's really the, the end game. It's like, and so many times, Jim, people will say to me, should I flip a house or should I buy a rental? I'm like, I have no idea how to answer that question. So I ask you like seven other questions. Right. You know, like, what are people's money goals? You know, like to your point, it's almost like a fun, a great financial planner doesn't tell you to go, with this product or this, what do they do? They put a plan together, right? They put a, where do you want to be? And when do you want to retire? And what does your lifestyle want to look? And not that we're financial planners, but we come from a more like holistic viewpoint, right? Because that's really what it's about. If you can get to your goals and you don't have the time and you can passively invest, why wouldn't you do that? If it meets all of your goals, do you have to actively invest? Or to your point, I really want to learn the business. Like I really want to stop this horrible job that I have. And right. I love, I love going to a building and smelling lumber and, you know, awesome. Then that's a different approach. And, and I think people asking where they want to be monetarily in time and lifestyle are, are the hard questions. And that's why it's much easier to ask, should I flip or should I buy a rental? Those are easier questions. In some ways, they're not the right questions, though, initially. It's, it's right. the bigger questions. And then you refine 
passive, active, who, how, and all those sort of things. Hey, Left Builders. This is Julian McClurkin from Tribe This. I recently had the pleasure of sitting down with Jim Pfeiffer for a masterclass. I learned so much from passive investing to real estate syndications to how you can diversify your portfolio with a tribe. I also learned how this form of passive investing was only available to the wealthy. Until recently, if I learned a lot, you will too. Go to leftfieldinvestors.com and check out the masterclass button at the top or look up TribeVest on YouTube. I'll see you there. So you, you'd mentioned that, you know, there's a lot fewer investors who are women or women invest less, but they have better results. So for someone running a community like mine, you know, we get women in our community and I have conversations with them. And sometimes they are a little bit intimidated because most of our meetings are, you know, the faces on there are all men. Most of the forum posts are all men. And, you know, since our beginning, we've thought, hey, let's try to get more women involved. But the group that runs it, we're a bunch of men. So we don't really have, <laughs> how do we do that? So the question is, how do we make, and I think our community is pretty laid back, but I can see how stepping into any new community, you'd be intimidated, but how do we make it easier for women? And then this question is going to, this isn't really what I mean, but you know, how do we encourage women to join our community and make it a place that's comfortable for them? Because you know, we do have, we do have more men than women and we'd like to be diverse. We'd like all the ideas. And, and if you're not having this one part of the society, you know, you're missing out. Yeah. No, I, I love that. I love that question, Jim, because I think a lot of people don't ask that question. So thank you for asking that question. It's a great question. And I think just the fact that you asked it is, is a great sign, you know, to what you're up to. I think in a lot of ways, Jim, and people often ask me, and there's actually some, some women I've gotten this feedback from that they don't actually see the point of having a women's community or a women's group, right? I'll go head to head with them any day because I do Here's the bottom line. The bottom line is that we're not creating a secret society that women are only going to ever work with women and we're literally going to just go hunker down. It, it's not like that. It's about the confidence. It's about building the confidence. The, the, it's about building each other up and it's about getting what you need and then going out into to that world and being confident to go talk to, to be that passive investor, to be that X, Y, and Z. So I'm a big fan of just the confidence building, and then we go out and integrate into the world and do what we do, right? So I'm not someone who's like, let's just all just stay in this corner. That's not that's not what we're creating. Right. Anyway, having said that, to your question with regards to, to to women feeling comfortable, I think the the thing that has really worked for us is that women really like to see themselves. So you know, are you do you have women coming in speaking about how they've passively invested? Not how it's a woman, how I'm a woman and I passively invest. Like, let's get away from that and just say, this is a woman who passively invests and let's know how she did it. That's a value to, to me as a woman who might feel intimidated. The two founders of men, a lot of the men talking are, it's intimidating. It's kind of why we created our community, to be perfectly frank. And it's nothing that you're doing wrong. It's just that people, people feel comfortable with people like themselves, whatever that is. So I would definitely have more women speaking or sharing or out there uh, around their experiences. And I know a lot of successful women who just passively invest. I can give you some names. So that's not a problem. That's where I can be helpful yeah. because these are women that the problem in so many ways I see, Jim, is that the, there's so many very successful women. They're just not raising this flag about themselves all the time. Well, look at me, look at me, look at me, look at all the money I made. Look at the big check I made. Look at the Ferrari I just bought. No, not a lot of women do that. It's 
there are some women, that's cool, but that's not like, women aren't going to do that. They're just going to keep going and making it happen and undersell themselves and just be like rock stars under the radar. And that is what we found. Like the women we interview are like, where have you been? How does, how does not anyone know about you? Like, that's not that uncommon. That's literally the story we hear all the time. And that's what we're trying to shift. So women feel more comfortable when they see themselves and others, number one, and number two, creating that spot for them. So uh, that would be what I would say to shift some of that. Yeah, that's great. I mean, we've had, I feel like we've done an okay job of getting women on the podcast. You know, in the next couple of weeks, we've, we're having a, a few women on the podcast, but we have not done a very good job for our monthly meetings involving women. So that's really great advice. And, you know, I think it's fantastic to have a woman only group that just helps people get started because this has been dominated by men. So getting women involved takes a little bit of a push and and a a separate group that, yeah, like you said, you're not only dealing with women, you're just, you're just helping this one specific group get going so we can all kind of work together. And, And I think having more women involved is great having different races involved, all of it. You know, you need a whole bunch of different people and different kinds of people because if you're just talking to the same people, you're going to have problems. Now, we always say we want like-minded people in our group because we want to be able to have the masterminds and have the conversations, but like-minded doesn't mean we want a bunch of the people that are exactly the same. Mm -hmm. So I think diversity is super important and I love what you're doing and I'd love to offline maybe get some ideas of some women we can have for some of our meetings because that would be great. Yeah, happy to do that. And I, I would also say it's not just for for new women too or newbies. It's women that could be financially free and they're just looking to get into another, you know, protect their money or stream. So often, but they're also quiet sometimes. They're not the the loudest. And so that's where it comes in of like asking the questions and getting the support that you need in the way you need it. That's really what we're hopefully providing or help, you know, moving towards certainly and and creating creating those spaces to do that. So you're doing that and on the passive side, which is great, right? Because it's a, that's scary, right? Who to, who to invest with? There's a lot of horror stories, uh, a lot. Absolutely. So what you're doing is so important. But yeah, to have that diversity of seeing more women passive investors, right? Women are controlling that. Women are vetting the deals. Women are, that's really neat because there's probably, you know, statistically less even there, to be perfectly frank. So yeah, I think that's great. And yeah, I'm happy to help. And certainly uh, I could think of equity. I could think of so many different women who focus on equity. They they focus on all different topics so I can help with that. Excellent. Well, listen, I, I love what you're doing with your community and with your, uh, you know, the, the syndications and the properties that you're managing. It sounds fantastic. The last question I ask on the podcast is, what is a favorite or great podcast that you listen to I'm sorry, you cannot use your own, but I will put that in the show notes for you. But what's another one that you like to listen to? I really am into uh, Brene Brown's podcast. She speaks there are being vulnerable and being like, how do you become the best leader you can and do it in an authentic way? So I know women and men listen to her, but her podcast is so listenable. It's like literally she's sitting in my living room with me talking. I, you know, like I don't know Brene Brown. She's a best-selling author. She's very well-known for her research on uh, shame and just a lot of leadership and a lot of things she's doing, but she makes it so easy to listen to. And she interviews men, women, everyone in between, but I, I really am enjoying her podcast a lot. Excellent. I'll put that in the show notes and I'm definitely going to give her a listen as well. So how can listeners get in touch with you and, and your community? Yeah. I mean, we, we often, from a active real estate perspective, uh, I'll just give our website, derosagroup.com, D-E-R-O-S-A group, G-R-O-U-P.com. We have a lot of our projects on there. Matt, my husband does active actively on YouTube. He's always sharing different tips, strategies, 
walkthroughs. So literally, uh, if you're just looking for um, some content, great stuff on our YouTube channel. Um, and also our, our, our active, always stay tuned of what we're doing because we're always doing something, buying something, you know, growing our, our portfolio. But yeah, I'd love to hear from you and connect with you. Um, in terms of our investor community, our website's the real estate investor, H-E-R.com. And uh, you can learn about our, our free Facebook community is there. We have literally 8,000 women in a Facebook group just supporting each other. Our meetups, we have over 50 meetups around the country. So they're all listed there. Our podcast, we do two uh, episodes a week. And we're actually published now by Bigger, Bigger Pockets. Is our, our, we're on their network. So that's neat. Uh, Tuesdays and Fridays, we release our episodes. So check those out. And then we have, you know, all the other things we have coming up. We have some live events coming up this this fall. We do like, um, and uh, we're doing more of that. And uh, we have our membership will be enrolling more people at the end of this year. So stay tuned on that. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you very much. This has been fantastic. I really enjoyed it. And uh, we'll talk again soon. Thanks, Jim. That was a really great conversation with Liz. I liked a lot of the things she said, including the importance of knowing the market. And you don't have to be in one of the popular markets or a difficult market. It just matters that you know the ones you're in and you take the time to understand and figure them out so you can give the best results to your passive investors if you're, a, if you're a GP. She also talked a lot about the importance of knowing the sponsor, understanding the, ins- the sponsor, and making sure that that is an integral part of your analysis of the sponsor. It's a red flag, like she said, if the sponsor isn't talking about their team and talking about their co-general partners. Transparency is key. And if you don't understand who you're dealing with, you're probably going to be disappointed in the end. The sponsor, she said, they need to be clear about their future plans. This is not something I'd thought of before, but these are long-term deals. And if you're going to be in a deal with someone for five or 10 years, you got to make sure that they are going to be in this business long enough to see that deal through to the end. And finally, I think it's fantastic that she has this community that she's developed for women. It is important to get more people involved, get additional viewpoints, and you know, part of our mission at Left Field Investors is to share with others how to build wealth. And the more communities who reach out to different people, more diverse types of people who've not always been able to see these opportunities, the better off we will all be. And if we can share with those communities, we can all learn from one another. So I think that was just a fantastic conversation. And we'll see you next week in the left field. Thanks for hanging out in left field with us today. If you're interested in becoming a left fielder, you can find us on the World Wide Web at www.leftfieldinvestors.com or you can send me an email, jim at leftfieldinvestors.com. Thank you for listening to the Passive Investing from Left Field podcast. If you enjoy the show, please go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and rate and review the show. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Nothing said on the show should be considered financial advice. Before making any decisions, consult a professional. This show is copyrighted by Passive Investing from Left Field and Left Field Investors. Written permissions must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting.